A group of cops tried to break up a Holy Week service in Canada a few days ago. The pastor of that church did not take very kindly to their visit. Go out and don't come back. Don't, I don't want to talk to you. Not a word. Out of this, pro- out of this property. Immediately out. I don't care what you have to say. Out. Out. Out of this property, you Nazis. Out. Out! Gestapo is not allowed here. Immediately, Gestapo is not allowed. Out! Do you understand English? Get out of this property. Go. So go. Go. And don't come back without a warrant. Out, Nazi. Out! Out! You understand? Nazis are not welcome here. Out. And don't come back without a warrant. Do not come back without a warrant. You understand that? You're not welcome here. Nazis are not welcome here. Gestapo is not welcome here. Do not come back, you Nazi psychopaths. Unbelievable, sick, evil people. Intimidating people in a church during the Passover. I love him. I want to make him an honorary American. What has gone wrong in our country that Americans need to take lessons on freedom and religion from Canadians? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday, Olivia V, who says, Kids being thrown over a wall and no calls for Joe Biden's impeachment. Wow, that D next to a politician's name is like a force field that protects them from the consequences of their actions. It's exactly like a force field. It's it's a force field in the sense that when a politician on the left does something that would have gotten a politician on the right in trouble, the force field of not just the media, but big technology and corporate America and the activist foundations and the universities and everything and the whole edifice of establishment liberalism rushes to the left-wingers defense whereas on the right that entire edifice turns against them so it it actually it is a force field and conservatives need to build a force field of our own by the way you're not going to be able to do any of that kind of great political work if you haven't gotten a good night's sleep so that's why i would highly recommend you check out my pillow my pillow the reason that i sleep so easy. I've got a screaming baby. I've got my wife taking up three quarters of the bed. Doesn't matter. A lot of people really like my pillow because they like the political affiliation of the company. You know, it's a little more of a conservative company. I'm going to make an admission to you right now. I, I think I would buy my pillow even if it were a communist country. I know I don't want to sound like a disloyal American, but it's just, that's how good the pillow is. They are, it's the best pillow I've ever used. And now my wife, sweet little Elisa, is walking around in my slippers. They have these slippers. They offered me a pair of slippers. I, being a good husband who didn't want my wife to divorce me, I said, would you like the slippers? She did. She loves them. The slippers took over two years to develop. They are designed to wear indoors slash outdoors, whatever you want, all day long. The My Slippers are made with My Pillow Foam and Impact Gel to help prevent fatigue. And they're made with quality leather suede. I can tell you, these are unbelievable. I kind of got to try them just a little bit, you know, and then Elisa took them right back. Right now, MyPillow is offering 40% off their new My Slippers, 40% off 
So I got the sheets. I got the pillows. I got the slippers from MyPillow. Like all of their products, comfort is the key. Go check them out. They're amazing. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listeners square. Use promo code DAILYWIRE. You'll get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets. Or you can call 800-951-7163. Use promo code DAILYWIRE. Go to MyPillow.com now or call 800-951-7163. Happy Easter, everybody. Vain the stone, the watch, the seal. Christ has burst the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids his rise. Christ hath opened paradise. This was, I think that's a, isn't that a Presbyterian line? I don't know. I I heard this verse during an excellent Catholic homily on Easter Sunday. And I won't say which church this was at or who the priest was because (laughs) I don't, I don't want him to be sent into the gulags or something for, uh, for, for making a conservative statement. Uh, But it was a really important homily because the priest pointed out that on Easter Sunday, throughout our entire civilization, we once understood that death has been robbed of its threats, of its power. Christ conquers death. And so we don't live our lives like little wimps fearing death all the time. But now, because we are living in a culture where Christianity is rapidly declining in public, we are all terrified. We have a neurotic, paranoid fear of death. We are now living in a fear of death cult. We are. Every little thing. The last year and a half has shown this most clearly. There were warning signs before that. We don't have Thanksgiving anymore. Public health officials tell us not to have Thanksgiving. We don't see our family. We don't see our friends. I'm not talking about you and me. I suspect if you're listening to this show right now, you've probably been ignoring the exalted Dr. Fauci for approximately, oh, the entire time. But for a bunch of other people in this country, they have followed these rules. They don't see people. They don't live their lives. They won't go to work. They wear the stupid mask on their face. They muzzle themselves up like good, good little boys and girls, like good little sheep. And they, they tremble at the very thought that they might die. There are two things to know here. One is the statistical statistical likelihood that you will die, that you will suffer a physical death is just about a hundred. Very, very unlikely you're, uh, unless, I guess, unless we live through the second coming of Christ, which entirely possible, but that'll be, that'll present its own set of challenges, I think for a lot of people. Otherwise you're going to die. Okay. And the message of Easter is there's a way out. There's a, there's a way after the physical death, there is a way to have eternal life. So you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to live in fear of the tyrant. This is why Christianity is considered the greatest political revolution in the world is that tyrannical rulers, the only thing they have on you is the fear that they can instill in you that they'll they'll kill you. And Christianity says, all right, whatever, do whatever you want. Feed me to a lion. I don't really care. But now we're, we're living in this neurotic fear and it's making us all nuts and it's, and it's ruining the life that we have. Do not fall into that, guys. I'm not saying, I, I don't, I'm not praying that we hasten my death or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm uh, necessarily, uh, you know, driving Corvettes, you know, really quickly on the side of mountains. I can take a prudential care of my life, but I'm not that afraid of death. I'm afraid of suffering. I would be kind of sad. I, you know, I wouldn't want to leave my family in a bad spot, but we don't need to live in this crazy fear of death. And uh, until we acknowledge that, 
the Fauci's of the world are going to continue to, to guide us around like we're a bunch of terrified little sheep because we're not living in a Christian polity really anymore. There's still a lot of Christians here. And, but I think for the first time ever, church attendance is less than 50% in the United States. We talked about that, that public opinion survey last week. So this thing is, is declining pretty rapidly. And in its place, it makes the matters even worse. You have some people who call themselves Christian who manifestly are not. Uh, one person is Raphael Warnock. He's the, the senator from Georgia now. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into Georgia voting laws more this week. But he, he won because, you know, because Georgia voting is so evil and terrible, Joe Biden was said to have won the state of Georgia and uh, Raphael Warnock got it and John Ossoff got it. And they're saying, you know, it seems a little strange, guys. I don't know. All this widespread mail-in voting and all the election integrity measures were taken away. We'll get into that controversy in a bit. I want to focus on Warnock himself. He refers to himself as Reverend Raphael Warnock. He says that he is a Christian, but he is not a Christian. And I'm not saying this like, he's a sinner. He's a bad guy. I'm not wagging my finger at him. I'm just stating as a very basic matter of what he believes. He is not a Christian. He tweeted out on Easter, quote, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. The meaning of Easter is not more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't think there is anything more transcendent than that, but certainly that is what Easter is about. And if you are Christian, or, or, or if you're not Christian, a commitment to helping others will not let you save yourself. This is called the heresy of Pelagius. This is an ancient heresy that the church got rid of many moons ago, but progressive politicians have tried to bring back. You cannot reasonably call yourself a Christian if you believe that you can save yourself absent the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of libs are trying to blur the lines on this, and it, it gets to a political strategy that they, they employ. But it, it, look, what Raphael Warnock is doing has a long history in progressive politics, uh, but it's not Christianity. But, but a lot of people have done this before. Okay, Martin Luther King. People probably like Martin Luther King a lot more than they like Raphael Warnock. Martin Luther King also denied the essentials of Christianity. He also denied the virgin birth. He denied the divinity of Christ and he denied the resurrection. I'm not saying that you can't do some good things if you, if you are not a Christian or if you deny Christianity. I'm not saying you can't be an influential person. You just can't be a Christian if you deny those things. What Whitaker Chambers called the the great alternative faith of mankind. That was communism. Whitaker Chambers was an ex-communist. His book Witness helped make Ronald Reagan into a conservative. I've actually seen Reagan's copy of Witness at the Reagan Ranch still on his bookshelf. But he referred to communism as, as the alternative faith. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when the serpent told Eve, ye shall be as gods. I don't know that Raphael Warnock is a, Christ, is a communist, rather. He sort of intimates that he might be. He, he was very excited and exuberant to welcome Fidel Castro to his church years ago. He has said things that would, would tend to paint him as a pinko. But whether he thinks he's a communist or not, whether we want to apply this term to progressivism more broadly, this is an alternative faith. And it's a faith that's winning over a lot of uh, squishies in Christianity and 
in the country, in our politics more broadly. The left is much subtler than the right. They do this very well. They infiltrate and they invert. You might have seen a group called Catholics for Choice, which is being led by a man who thinks that he's a woman. Uh, this is not possible. <laughs> this is a contradiction in terms. There are many, many problems with this group, but it, it, the, the, not the least of which is it is simply not possible to be a Catholic who supports legal abortion. You, you can't do, I suppose you can be a baptized Catholic, but you cannot be uh, in a state of grace. You cannot receive the sacraments if you are doing this sort of thing. You are in a state of grave mortal sin. You are contradicting the faith on very grave matters. And uh, you, you can't call yourself really a Catholic if you do that. We, can, we need to start using this strategy in a, in a moral way on the right. We're, we're not very subtle on the right. <laughs> Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe we're, we're sort of some of the great offenders of this, those of us in the media, where we just bluntly, we say, look, this is what we think, this is what we're doing, this is what's wrong. And I think we need that. I think we need to maintain clarity as well. But there is also a role for institutional cleverness. You know, we need to be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. We need to infiltrate established institutions, just like the radicals did. And we need to use that to attain cultural hegemony. To use Antonio Gramsci's phrase, I describe a lot of this in my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, just like the radicals did. We need to insist on teaching the Bible in schools and, and say it's part of multiculturalism, <laughs> say it's part of social justice. There's a longstanding Catholic social justice tradition. We need to make curricula more Eurocentric again. We need to start teaching our own history again. And, and we can justify it in the name of avoiding cultural appropriation. I don't know. We can use the left's established institutions and we can use the left's lexicon in a subtle way. I'm not saying we evade what we believe. I'm not saying that we play it down or anything like that. I don't think we should lie. Certainly not. But we can be clever. We can do both of these things just like the left does because the left plays to win and the left wins. And if you want to win great discounts on your auto parts, I would strongly recommend Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have the doodads. They have the gizmos. They have the whatchamacallits. You know I'm not exactly the most expert when it comes to car parts. That is why it's so humiliating when I go into the brick and mortar car parts store. Because you go in, they ask you a million questions you don't know the answer to. They go in the back. They never have the part. They order it online, probably from RockAuto.com. Then they charge you twice as much. Don't do that. Why would you subject yourself to that? Rockauto.com. They, they don't have gimmicks on their pricing. It's not like, oh, on Tuesday, it's this percent off, but then you got to wait until Wednesday and it's this. No, it's reliably low prices. The same prices for pros and do-it-yourselfers. The catalog is so simple and intuitive and easy to navigate. Even I can do it, which is quite impressive. A great selection, all the parts that your car is ever going to need. Go to rockauto.com right now see all those parts for your car or truck. Then write Knowles, Canada W-L-E-S, in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Of course, if conservatives mimic the tactics of the left and do so in a moral way, but still use the same kinds of techniques, the left will wail and gnash their teeth. I'll give you a great example of this. There was a Washington Post article. Inside a stealth persuasion machine promising Republican victories in 2022. 
describes all these awful persuasion techniques, persuasion machine, getting engagement, all this sort of stuff. This was tweeted out by some blue check lib named Justin Hendricks says, in Florida, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, and Virginia, a shady nonprofit backed by Republicans is behind a stealth effort to build Facebook pages to reach millions of voters. It plans to expand to A-Z-I-A-M-N-P-A-T-X and W-I, all those states, reports Isaac Stanbecker, who wrote this piece in the Washington Post. So just to get this straight, and I'm not going to go too much into the Georgia issue here. We'll, we'll get to that later on in the week. When Republicans try to tighten up election integrity, the left wails and says, this is voter suppression. When Republicans try to expand the number of people who vote, the left wails and gnashes its teeth and says, this is shady. This is a machine. This is, I don't know. They, they, they've got to work on their language here. When we try to reduce the number of voters to only the eligible ones, bad. When we try to expand the number of voters among the eligible ones, bad. Do you get it yet? Do you understand what's going on? Anything Republicans do to try to, to win an election is going to be called illegitimate and, and awful. I mean, what, what's going on in Georgia is so crazy. They're, they're trying to say, as always the left does, they're trying to say this is racist, white supremacist, race, race, race has absolutely nothing to do with race. It's, it's the most basic, commonsensical aspect of our republic that if our, because our republic is based on the consent of the governed, and constitutionalism. If we can't have trust in our elections, if we can't have faith that only the people who are supposed to vote are voting, that the result we're seeing at the ballot box is legit. If we can't have faith in that, we can't have faith in any other part of our government. The left is saying this is terrible and racist and we can't have it. So who cares what they say? Just do it. Just do it. Just go in and wield some political power great example of this, Senator Cruz and Senator Lee down involving Georgia. So Major League Baseball, the only sport I've ever liked is alienating me as a fan because Major League Baseball is canceling the all-star game in in Georgia. They're going to move that all-star game somewhere else. Why? Because of Georgia's awful, terrible Jim Crow racist voter law that is still more lenient than most, at least many states in the country, including very left-wing states like New York. New York has significantly more restrictive voter laws than Georgia does now under the Republican bill. So is MLB, are they going to move the game to to New York? Well, they, that would be weird, wouldn't it? That'd be awkward. They wouldn't even have to justify it. They wouldn't, they would just do it, right? Because Georgia currently has a Republican governor. New York has a Democrat governor. Democrats, according to the, their own logic, the, the Democrat state is worse, but it just doesn't matter. I mean, don't forget they, they hailed Andrew Cuomo as the great COVID savior. He was the great hero of coronavirus. He was the worst governor in the country by a long shot on coronavirus. Committed crimes. 
in his handling of coronavirus. Doesn't matter. They won't answer for that. When they try to hold him accountable because he's not looking good on TV, they'll just get him on some other thing. They'll, they'll say he winked at his secretary. So uh, probably it's not going to be a big deal, which is why Republicans need to exercise political power here. Cruz and Lee are calling on the federal government, uh, Jeff Duncan too, who's a representative uh, in, you know, he's a Republican in the House of Representatives. They want to strip the MLB of antitrust exemptions that grant them immunity from federal anti-monopoly laws. Mike Lee pointed out that MLB has legal protections that other sports leagues like the NFL and the NBA don't have. So they should lose those. Well, but Michael, that's, you're only doing this because the MLB went woke. Yup, that's true. You, you got it. Well, but Michael, that the left wields government power and we don't want to be like the left. Uh, don't, we don't want to win. <laughs> we don't want to be successful. We don't want to have a sophisticated understanding of politics. I don't want to wield government power in the, the same way that the left is doing it. Cause I think the stuff that the left is doing is bad. The stuff that government, that the left is wielding government power for is bad. But so I don't want to do that. I want to wield government power for good stuff. Like all politics comes down to like Republicans have done until very, very recently like we all understood is the end of government, like the people gave us power to do. Goodness gracious. I am so glad, this is sort of tangential to the point on the MLB antitrust protections. I am so glad that I canceled my MLB TV membership. It actually hurt me because it's the only sport I like, so I'd watch the Yankees. And I canceled it last year when MLB said they were going to reverse the letters and put BLM on the pitcher's mat. I said, I'm out, I'm done. I don't care. I, I paid for the year, I think, or, but there were some issues with it. And I think I was able to save some. I just, I, I didn't even care if I pay, already paid for it. And I was going to, I just wrote to them. I said, cancel my membership. They canceled it. I really wanted to start it up again this year, but they keep up the nonsense. They don't get my money. And that's that. They don't want my money. They, they don't need my money. Or they, they don't want a relationship with conservatives. That's fine. They don't, there are limits here, folks. I'm all for a very broad realm where private companies can do what they want and pursue their interest. I think that's great. And I like free markets and all that stuff. When a woke corporation like the MLB tries to undermine election integrity in my republic, that's too far. Then I've got to start exercising my political power. And if you are still laboring under this ridiculous, shallow, pseudo libertarian notion that cropped up over the last 10 years that private companies should be able to do absolutely whatever they want, including betraying and undermining our polity. I can't help you. Okay. If you still believe, oh, build your own Twitter, build your own YouTube. Oh yeah. MLB wants to undermine our election system. That's fine. It's a private company. No, sorry, buddy. <laughs> that ain't conservative. <laughs> that ain't conserving nothing. Rand Paul also called out the MLB. Because he, he gets this, you know, there, there's two sides here. We, we always hear, well, we conservatives need to act in the culture and we focus too much on politics. We need to work in the culture. Uh, actually, we don't focus on either. And we, we need to focus on both. <laughs> we need, yes, we need to take personal actions here. Cancel your MLB membership. Don't go to the stupid Hollywood movie you don't want to support. We also need to take political actions. You need to do both at the same time. And uh, Rand Paul tweeted out, quote, your sports league might be a little too woke 
if it will freely do business with communists in China and Cuba, but boycotts a U.S. state that wants people to show an ID to vote. Hashtag MLB All-Star Game, hashtag MLB. Of course, of course this is true. I mean, you need to show an ID to buy a beer at Yankee Stadium. I know this because I was turned away many times when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. But you're not supposed to show an ID to vote. I, I am beginning to think that this is less about left versus right and more about, I don't know, call it nationalism versus globalism. It's less about Republicans versus Democrats and more about America versus the liberal global regime. Because yeah, they're not going to call out China. Joe Biden's not going to do anything here. Joe Biden pressured the MLB to leave Georgia, but he's not going to pressure any company not to support the Olympics this, this Chinese showcase, Joe Biden isn't, is barely going to say a harsh word about China because China is part of this international regime whereby we, well, they buy a lot of our debt. We got to, we got to buy their products. They, they, they invest a lot and look, it's, it's fine. It's cool. We don't want to, we can, we can afford to lose those troglodyte conservatives, but we can't afford to lose China. So the NBA is not going to say anything about China. It's very big there. We're just not going to upset anything. Just as long as we have global trade, that's all fine. And we're all, it's all good. And we support the UN and the WHO and the IMF and the WTO. That's really the political battle here between competing political institutions and competing political loyalties. You will hear much more about this on Ben's show today. Ben is back. You know, I was filling in on his radio show last week. He's going to be back today. Uh, but Ben, Ben is a huge baseball fan. So he's going to be talking a lot about what's going on there. Also, as we return from Easter and Passover, it's very important to reflect on what these holidays mean for us and for our culture. More and more, the left wants to erase the values and replace them with their own religion. I mean, this is what we're talking about today, the religion of progressivism. And this is something that is going to be a big focus of Candace Owens on her new show. The show streams on Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central at dailywire.com. You can get the audio podcast Candace on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you need some Candace Owens in your podcast feed, look no further. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to subscribe today. Be sure to leave a five-star review. If you like what you hear, we'll be right back with a lot more. Joe Biden does not support the MLB playing a baseball game in Georgia because of Georgia's awful, terrible, vile decision to protect the ballot box. Meanwhile, Joe Biden does support the Olympics and China. China, which is committing a genocide against its population. It's been committing genocides against its population for uh, thousands and thousands of years now, but they've, they've, uh, taken on a new, a new challenge in killing the Uyghur population. They finally let up a little bit on the one child policy, but they committed a horrific genocide there as well in recent decades, spurred in no small part, by the way, by the environmentalist movement. I talk about that in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Uh, you know, it's a vile, vile regime that does all sorts of awful things. Joe Biden doesn't have a, a terrible thing to say about them. So Philip Wegman, who is a young reporter. He's been on this show, actually in the early days of the show, he was on this show. 
Uh, he asked totally fair question to Jen Psaki. She really, really did not like that question. The president had voiced his support for MLB making a decision about the All-Star Game in Georgia. Um, I'm wondering, when can we expect a final determination from the president about the United States participating in the Beijing Olympics, given that he said the Chinese president doesn't have a democratic bone in his body? Well, I think the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, would play a big role in... Uh, in and on Major League Baseball here in the United States. He actually didn't... I, I think... I don't know if you heard the, qu- the answer, the question, the answer that happened a few minutes ago where we addressed this, and I answered the question. So, uh, and I give a little more context, but maybe you weren't paying attention to that part. Yeah, spoiler alert, she did not answer the question. Uh, but of course she didn't, because if she had answered the question, she would repeat her answer right here. It's a very, a very simple question. Why is Biden being tougher on Americans wanting to protect their election in Georgia than he is on the Chinese communists who are committing genocides. She says, well, <laughs> well, um, you know, the, the Olympic committee will, they'll, they'll deal with that. And, uh, yeah. Oh gosh, that one doesn't. Jen, Jen, that wasn't a good one. You know, that's not a good answer. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just be really smug and condescending. Uh, maybe you didn't hear my other answer. Hmm? Maybe you weren't paying attention. Hmm? The smug thing does not work by the way. She, this is what she leans on and it doesn't work. There are, there are different tacks that a press secretary could take here, different tacks that politicians generally could take with the media. You can either be extremely prepared and measured like Kaylee McEnany, right? She would just kill you with a smile. She was just, mm, man, she was good. But she wasn't, wasn't condescending in any way. You can be a total just bulldog like Sarah Sanders. She would just pump, she would just viciously beat the media. Just every day she'd go into that press room. Uh, Trump obviously takes, takes in that strategy as well. Or you can do this condescending thing that I, I really don't think that plays well f- for anybody. And uh, she's not going to answer the question and no one really expects that she would. Fortunately, there are still a handful of voices in sports that have not completely lost it, that actually see what's going on here and see it better than a lot of conservatives in politics. Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was on CBS talking about sports. I don't really remember exactly what he was talking about. And because now when all of our sports conversations somehow come back to politics, Charles Barkley said, you know, this is a, this is a game. This is a political tactic to divide Americans. Man, I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart. But I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer. I truly believe in my heart most white people and black people are awesome people. But we're so stupid following our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And their only job is, hey, Let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. We all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like, like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's, let's scramble the middle class. I truly believe that in my heart. This is obviously true. This is a classic tactic, by the way, of uh, corporations against unions. There were, I think there were some leaked memos from Amazon about this, how the, the trick to preventing unionization 
is to get all the workers to hate each other. Because if the, the workers have solidarity, they'll unionize and then you'll have to negotiate with them. So corporations have been employing this for a long time and continue to employ this today. Marx tried to do this on the basis of class. He believed that when the workers of the world united and got together, there would be a workers revolution and it would overthrow the sort of bourgeois capitalist uh, industrial system. That didn't happen. And uh, so Marx in that way died a failure, but, but his ideological heirs, the Western Marxists, cultural Marxists, neo-Marxists, whatever term you want to use, uh, they, they recognized the, the problem that, that uh, Marx had. I talk about this at great length, by the way, in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, because it ties directly into political correctness, wokeism, cancel culture. Again, whatever term you want to use. Uh, what guys like Antonio Gramsci realized, this communist Italian politician and, and Marxist theorist, was that the conservatives had a cultural hegemony. So the workers just didn't, they just didn't feel that oppressed, right? They didn't, they didn't know that they were oppressed. They were laboring under what he would call a false consciousness. So what you had to do was indoctrinate them, obviously, take over the cultural institutions, but also, uh, you know, gin up certain other antagonisms. This was later uh, brought to fruition under the Frankfurt School, the creation of critical theory. We now see a derivation of that critical race theory taking over classrooms and corporate America. Uh, we, we saw in the 1960s and 70s a lot of left-wing foundations recognizing that if you could gin up racial identity, create whole new identity groups, Hispanics, for instance, is a, a relatively recent identity group. Until very recently, you had people from Central and South America, they would say, I'm Mexican, I'm whatever, I'm Guatemalan, I'm Brazilian. Now there's this idea that you're, you're Hispanic or Asian. That's a new identity group. They're trying to create a new one in the Middle East called MENA, Middle East, North Africa. That one hasn't really caught on yet. It's like fetch and mean girls. You know, the people, people just haven't made that one happen. But there were, was an explicit plan to divide Americans on the basis of race because there isn't really a class system in America. So race is the, is the fault line. And if you can do that, then the people who are attaining power can really manipulate people and really maintain a hold on their power. That's what Charles Barkley is seeing. He's absolutely right. And you're seeing this, by the way, ties in what we, with what we were talking about earlier in the show about the fear of death cult. The left has taken this to its perfect conclusion in the coronavirus revolution of the last year and a half, whereby we're not even just divided on race or sex or class or anything like that. We are now perfectly divided from everybody. We now, it's not just that white people view black people as a threat to them or black people view white people as a threat to them. We now have been instructed to view every single person that we come into contact with, not as a dignified human being possessing an immortal soul whom we should love as we love ourselves, but as bags of germs that are out there waiting to kill us. And if they so much as breathe from behind that filthy cloth covering that a bunch of sheep have been persuaded to wear by Dr. Fauci, if they so much as breathe, it, that is as though they were taking out a gun and shooting us. That's how dangerous they are because of coronavirus. It, it is a, a perfectly divisive strategy. And some people still go along with it. Very bad idea. We, we need to encourage, I, you know, the thing I always liked about sports is that people seem kind of grounded. They seem kind of normal. It wasn't highly ideological. We need to encourage the, the remaining common sense voices there to speak up. Draymond Green, 
is a basketball player, apparently. I don't know who he is. I don't watch basketball. But Draymond Green made this great point (laughs) the other day. He was talking about Megan Rapino, that crazy haired lady from the soccer team who always whines that she doesn't make enough money. She's a millionaire. She's rich. She's famous. But she, no, wow, wow, I don't make enough money for playing a sport that not a lot of people watch. And Draymond Green said, you know, lady, you got to quit your whining. It's very, it's very unbecoming. I'm really tired of seeing them complain about the lack of pay because, because they're doing themselves a disservice by just complaining. You know, and right, they're not and, just complaining. Huh? They're, they're not just complaining, really. But they are because they're not laying out steps that they can take to change that. And so it, it's coming off as a complaint because the people that can change it, they're just going to continue to say, well, the revenue isn't there. The revenue isn't there. So if you don't bring in the revenue, we can't up your pay. They're going to keep using that. But the reality is, as true as that is, it's an excuse because everyone says we support women. We support women empowerment. We support women in the workplace. We, we do this for women. We do X for women, blah, blah, blah. And everyone uses it to their advantage. Yet these women are not using these people that are saying those very things to their advantage. So then it just becomes a complaint that falls on deaf ears. Of course, of course, this is absolutely right. Because everyone is going to point out, it's just obvious that women's sports don't bring in the revenue that men's sports bring in. Because men and women are different and men are just not as physically strong and fast and buff as dudes. And that's just a fact of life. So when you want to watch people racing, for instance, you want to watch the fastest people racing. Well, that's men. When you want to watch people fighting, you want to watch the strongest people fighting. That's men. When you want to watch people playing team sports, goes on and on. So just quit whining, lady. (laughs) It's very unbecoming. Broadly speaking, pride is ugly. Vanity is ugly. Humility is beautiful. We once knew this, but we don't know this now. Now we've, we've convinced ourselves as a culture that pursuing our own will outside and in contravention of the moral order is good somehow because we're breaking the oppression of the more, basically we're breaking the oppression of the moral order and liberating ourselves from reality. Liberating yourself, not just from the bond, the unjust bonds that have been put on you, but but even from reality itself, you see the, the total expression of this in transgenderism, which is I will liberate myself from nature entirely, from my own most basic nature. Uh, not a recipe for success. You know, Ch- Charles Barkley, though, he, he makes this point. I mean, we're all seeing this, that it, this is big business. This is big business here. The grievance industry, as uh, Draymond Green might call it, is, is big business. Here's a report out from the College Fix. Do you know how much money each year University of California Berkeley spends on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs? You know, the deans of diversity, equity, inclusion, the assistant deans of diversity, equity, inclusion, the assistant deputy, deputy assistant, deputy deans of diversity, equity, and inclusion. $25 million. $25 would be too much money to spend on these ridiculous, radical, subversive programs. 25 million. 11% of that comes from philanthropy and private grants. 
Okay. If they want to spend their money on stupid nonsense, whatever. It doesn't really bug me that much. 31% comes from federal and state public service grants. Mm, Don't love that. Don't love that my tax dollars are going to that. Oh, and then 58% comes from taxpayers and tuition. And tuition is not very great at those schools, especially for in-state students. She got a lot coming from that. Man, I'm so glad I left California. 25 million bucks. That's a racket. Sure. It's a way to protect people's sinecures. It's a way to amass political power where there's big money. There's going to be big influence. That's just the way it goes. That's why they secure a lot of money for these sorts of programs. It is a way to transform the culture and create, and to push a false narrative, by the way, false narrative on race. You can see that narrative in action. Did you hear? Well, I guess we were off the air uh, right, right around when this happened. A, a young man rammed his car into two U.S. Capitol police officers before getting out of his vehicle with a knife. Police shot and killed this man. Immediately, the usual suspects on the left were saying, this is another insurrection. This is right-wing terrorism. This is the Trump issue. We've got to have a national conversation. And then it turned out he is a young black guy who's a follower of Louis Farrakhan's Nation of Islam. And then the story went away. That was it. Story just went away. Actually, all Ilhan Omar could say was that this, uh, this killing would have been worse if he had an AR-15. We actually have some evidence that the AR-15 wouldn't have, as a national issue, wouldn't have been a big deal. We'll get into that in just a second. This narrative, it, it goes, it's, it's not even just in what people say and what people are taught. It's in the stories that are chosen to be emphasized. It's the conversation that goes on. It's the $25 million department at just one school of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's this institutional power. It gets back to that comment, that that my favorite comment from last week that was brought up at the top of the show. It seems like a force field around Democrats. It is. It is. It's a very well-funded, very effective force field. And we are all the marks, okay? We are all the people who who are being influenced by it socially engineered by it. Speaking of murderers, beyond what what went on at the Capitol with that Nation of Islam follower, you remember those two girls who killed uh, Muhammad Anwar, uh, the, the Pakistani Uber Eats driver. They jacked his car. They brought a taser gun. He wouldn't just give the car to them, so they drove away with him still clinging to it. They killed him. They then walked away. They got out of the car that they flipped, but then they walked right past his dead body because one of the girls forgot her cell phone in the car. No care whatsoever. So at the very least, these girls should be put away for life. At the very, very least. Under D.C. law, they might just basically get away with it. So under D.C. law, the 13-year-old girl cannot be prosecuted as an adult. Okay, I sort of understand that, I guess. However, it is possible for the 15-year-old girl to be transferred to an adult court. However, very likely won't happen. According to a news report, after the trial, if youths are found responsible, meaning guilty, they can be held in juvenile detention only until age 21, even if they commit a murder. And if they are deemed rehabilitated, they can be freed much sooner than that. Because while the adult penal system at least pretends to to have something to do with retribution, to have something to do with punishment, 
the juvenile detention system is 100% about rehabilitation. So a criminal defense attorney, Nikki Lotze, just said that they could get a plea agreement whereby they accept responsibility and then get home detention or probation. Does that seem just to you? Does that seem like, oh, that's good? Because what we're told, and you, you increasingly see this in the academic literature around juvenile justice, is that basically only a barbarian would ever want to punish anybody. First of all, that juvenile is a term that needs to be redefined because people's brains don't start, stop maturing until they're 25. So we shouldn't, if a 23 year old murders a bunch of people, we shouldn't necessarily try them as an adult. They might not have known what they were doing. They're not in possession of their will. How are they supposed to stop it? This full emphasis on rehabilitation as compassionate and good and on the actual purpose of justice, right? Punishment as barbaric or backward or something like that. If these two girls get off basically scot-free, do you think that's just? Do you think, do you feel like justice will have been done? No, of course not. Justice won't have been done, certainly not to the family of the victim, but it, justice won't have been done to them either. They won't have been rehabilitated. There's a chance if the 13-year-old girl is just kept in jail for life, and if the older girl is tried as an adult and either kept in jail for life or executed, capital punishment, there is a chance they might be rehabilitated. <clears throat> Hanging concentrates the mind. Severe punishment concentrates the mind. It's an act of mercy. It's an, it's, a, it's an act of compassion. But if they just get off scot-free, no justice will have been done anywhere for anybody. And I would bet a good chunk of change that these girls will commit awful crimes again. Speaking of crime and punishment, the FBI, while they're letting murderers off the hook, so, so long as it you know, go, goes along with a broader narrative, they might be coming after you. So there's this issue of vaccine passports that the left has been pushing. Vaccine passports are the idea that maybe it's the state that imposes it, but maybe it's private businesses, but you won't be able to do anything. You won't be able to engage in commerce unless you get the jab of this vaccine that was produced very rapidly. And then you'll, by the way, it'll have your medical history on there. So you'll, maybe if there are variants, you're going to need to get more jabs, you're going to need to get boosters. And that's how you're going to prove that you can engage in society. So a lot of people are thinking, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. I have no intention of getting this vaccine. Maybe I will at some point, but I, I, I have no intention of doing it. And I have even less of an intention of using a vaccine passport. So it raises a moral question. If they require these things and you feel that it's unjust to require them, would you forge the passport? Can't, won't be that hard to forge, I don't think. Well, the FBI is saying now, the FBI in Minnesota tweeted out, we've all seen friends posting their COVID-19 vaccination cards on social media. If you make or buy a fake one to misrepresent your vaccination status, you endanger other people and may also be breaking the law. There's the threat. We're going we're gonna to throw you in jail. If you murder someone, that's fine. As long as it goes along with our narrative. But if you have the woo flu, or don't have the woo flu, but you don't get the jab, then we're going to throw you in prison if you, if you forge it. That is part of the fear of death cult. The idea that we cannot engage in any sort of association with anybody who doesn't, who, who in any way questions the public health 
exalted priests of the religion of progressivism. That is the fear of death cult. I do want to get back to Ilhan Omar's point really quick before we go. Ilhan Omar says that the best she could muster on that, on the, the killing by the Louis Farrakhan follower uh, of the Capitol Police, she said, well, you know, it would have been worse if, uh, if he had an AR-15. Of course, don't, don't forget at the Capitol where there's no evidence that police officers died as a direct result of the, the Trump rioters, where the only person, the only people who died as a result, direct result that we know of the, of the riot were Trump supporters, most notably Ashley Boppett, who was killed by Capitol Police. And you remember Ilhan Omar and all the rest saying this was the worst, basically the, the most awful thing that's ever happened in American history. Well, the best she could say about this is, well, you know, it would have been worse with an AR-15. Well, the, the federal government has data that show that just isn't the case. According to 2018 data provided by the CDC, National Vital Statistics, uh, falling down killed 126 times as many people as rifles of any kind, including the dread assault weapons, the dread AR-15. You, you won't hear that in, in falling legislation, in, I don't know, knee, knee control or something, stair control. No, you won't hear that. You will hear a lot about gun control in the coming days and weeks and years from the left. It doesn't really matter. The, the facts of this, the reality of this, the ultimate reality of, of death which we all should have been paying attention to on Easter Sunday. That won't really matter because what the left is after is ginning up fear. And by ginning up your fear and dividing you and dividing you and dividing you in a cult of the fear of death, the ultimate fear, they will be able to control you. You're going to let them do it? I hope not. Hope we're all like that Canadian pastor. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Mega corporations are now condemning and boycotting the state of Georgia. An attack on Capitol Police officers is already being memory hold. Arkansas moves to ban the genital mutilation of children. And a pastor in Canada shows us how to deal with agents of the state who infringe on our rights. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.